Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota state system has a major economic impact on the state. Minnesota's teacher shortage deepens. A big sporting event is coming to Minnesota, but first, another busy week at the Minnesota Capitol as Governor Tim Walz released not only the remainder of this state budget proposal, but also an infrastructure plan that includes borrowing, but also taps part of the state's nearly $18 billion budget surplus. Bill Werner joins us with a recap. Tasha, after rolling out key areas of his budget plan last week, $12 billion for programs including education, child care, and family tax credits, plus free school lunch and breakfast, and $4 billion for economic development, the governor this week unveiled another important part. The largest tax cut in state's history to the greatest number of Minnesotans across the spectrum. The governor proposed sending nearly $4 billion of the budget surplus directly back to over 2.5 million Minnesotans in the form of one-time rebates, what he in the past, but not this week, called Walls Checks. Families making under $150,000 would be eligible for a $2,000 payment plus $200 more per dependent, up to a total of $2,600. Single filers making less than $75,000 would be eligible for a $1,000 check. But the number that caught Republicans' eye is Walls proposing state spending increase from $54 billion up to $65 billion in the next two-year cycle. We are increasing spending by over 25%, and that is one of the largest increases. So yes, we can talk about tax cuts, but I'm looking at the increased spending. House Minority Leader Lisa Damoth, the governor, responded. If you're a Minnesotan listening to this, working Minnesotan, you're going to see a reduction in your cost of living. You're also going to see the investments in the things that Minnesotans have told us they care most about. And the governor said to Republicans, If you want to find a problem in having the best state with education, reducing childhood poverty by 25 percent, and watching the vast majority of Minnesotans see costs go down for them, then good luck. I look forward to that debate. Republicans seem to be more receptive than the governor's fellow Democrats to Wall's checks. Although they say that tax break doesn't go nearly far enough, House Minority Leader Damoth. I would much rather see it go that way than into increased governmental spending. I would like to see it back in the pockets of Minnesotans, but permanent tax cuts are what we need to be looking at. First on Republicans' list, totally eliminating state income tax on Social Security benefits. The governor this week did propose reductions in that area, but reiterated he will not give a tax break to top-income Minnesotans. Some Democrats differ on that, wanting the entire state income income tax on Social Security benefits repealed, and Republicans see an opportunity there. I believe that if it is a standalone ending the tax on Social Security, we would look very seriously at that and be willing to work together on it. House Republican Leader Damoth in the Minnesota Senate with a razor-thin margin. The Republican minority would need only one Democrat to vote with them to repeal state tax on Social Security. GOP leader Mark Johnson says, If it's something that's standalone that we can, if we can come to, together with, I think it's a great idea. The governor this week in his budget proposed $300 million in public safety aid to local governments, plus an historic $1.5 billion housing budget, which he says will allow people to thrive and be safe in their communities. Safe from housing instability, safe from hunger, safe from crime, safe from fire, safe from emergencies, natural disasters. These are the things that will make a difference. House Republican Leader Damoth says the governor's public safety number falls far short of what's needed. Let me just put that in perspective for you. In a time of record crime in Minnesota, $300 million proposed 
for public safety, but yet the project over at the state office building to renovate that space, the minimum that we would be starting with is $500 million. And pointing to last weekend's mass shooting in California, the governor asked the legislature to require background checks on all firearm sales, allow courts to take firearms away from those who pose an immediate threat to themselves or others, set the minimum age of 21 to purchase military-style firearms, and ban high-capacity magazines. When a country has the number of guns and the access to them compared to other places that have the freedoms and have gun ownership but don't do those things, the numbers of shootings are disproportionately higher here. Rob Dore with the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus says the governor is capitalizing on the California tragedy to push an agenda and that state already has all the laws he's proposing. Yet it didn't prevent that tragedy and the unfortunate reality is that None of the governor's proposals would have prevented that tragedy. And on Thursday, the governor unveiled the final piece of his budget, a $3.3 billion infrastructure package, the largest in state history, he says. Clean water, safe roads, good bridges, all of the things that make life better, make life safer, and make our economy work. The governor recommending over $650 million for local bridge and road projects, plus water and sewer infrastructure, over $1.2 billion for preserving existing facilities, including the U of M and state colleges and universities, plus more money for the DNR. He recommends nearly half a billion dollars for safe and affordable housing projects to address what he says is a shortage across Minnesota. Over $300 million for environmental stewardship. More than $90 million for needed improvements at Veterans Homes in Hastings, Preston, Montevideo, and Bemidji. And the governor wants over half a billion dollars for what he calls projects that build thriving communities. Senate Republicans bonding point person Karen Housley from Stillwater says the governor's proposal puts a huge debt load on future taxpayers and does not have bipartisan support. But Democrats have a possible way around that. They need Republicans' help to authorize borrowing, a bonding bill, but if instead they use part of the budget surplus, what's called cash for bonding, to pay for projects, a simple majority is all that's required, and they would not need Republican votes. The Senate Capital Investment Committee Chair, St. Paul Democrat Sandy Pappas, is thinking along those lines. She says, do the $1.5 billion bonding bill that did not pass last year then a second bill looking at the governor's recommendation, but pay for that with the budget surplus rather than borrowing. We have $12 billion in one-time money. <laughs> so um, a bonding bill is a great way, um, an infrastructure bill is a great way to use one-time money. I'm hoping for a good hunk of that. Republican Senator Housley says she hopes Democrats will work with Republicans instead of just pushing through a cash bill. Which they can, but I think that would be a failure on the part of, of the Democrats to not include you know, the Republicans and half the people of our state um, on these cash projects. Over in the House, Capital Investment Chairman Fu Lee says about the governor's $3.3 billion infrastructure request. I would like for us to go bigger than the governor. Chairman Lee says spend $2 billion of the surplus, double the governor's recommendation on public works projects. And Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison's third listening session this week on the proposed merger of the Sanford and Fairview Health Systems this time in Worthington, where most people testifying had positive comments. Lynn Dirks said she was diagnosed with cancer after a mammogram. I went to Sioux Falls one hour away. When the testing was completed, my specialty team explained that I could receive my cancer care right here in Worthington. Wow. 
Father Jim Callahan with Our Lady of Guadalupe Free Clinic said Sanford, quote, has become a critical partner in our ability to deliver accessible, timely, and quality care to our community. It serves as our health care expert in resources for triaging, managing facility diagnostic and treatment procedures, provides weekly dedicated clinical staff. Worthington School Superintendent John Landgard said Sanford has provided athletic training services for 20 years. Currently, Sanford has committed to us over the next 10 years $110,000 per year at a minimum, along with paying for athletic trainers. A different view from RN Kathy Haberman, who said she initially supported Sanford's purchase of the Worthington Clinic, but then things began to happen. Over time, departments started to close intensive care. Uh, gradually, we used to have an upstairs, uh, second floor, I think five or six beds ICU. When I left almost five years ago, there was one bed on that search for ICU patients. And Tasha, Attorney General Ellison's fourth and final hearing is Tuesday up on the Iron Range in Grand Rapids. Thanks, Bill. It's time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters right after this. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. New numbers show that the Minnesota state system has a major economic impact on the state. On this week's Minnesota Matters, MNN's Brent Palm talks with a consultant from the firm that analyzed spending and finances at Minnesota state schools and campuses. First off, Nicole Parker with uh, Parker Phillips. You guys were the consulting firm that did the analysis. How, how did we figure out that Minnesota state's schools contributed $8.4 billion to the Minnesota economy in 2021. Well, you know, I want to lead off by saying that, you know, in addition to producing graduates uh, that fulfill Minnesota's workforce needs, this study really shows that the operations of the 26 colleges and seven universities of Minnesota, Minnesota State are integral to the state's economy. And so, they produce a combined, as you said, $8.4 billion and sustain 62,000, over 62,000 jobs throughout the state. And what we did for this FY 2022 analysis was to gather information about operational spending, a 10-year capital average, student spending, and visitor spending for all of the 26 colleges and seven universities. And we took this raw data, we put it into Implan, which is an input-output modeling software that's gained really national recognition, you know, for its quality. But truthfully, the analysis being done by Parker Phillips means that you have a credible and 
conservative estimate of what the colleges and universities are bringing. We've done over now, I think about 2,500 of these since we started as a company. And I've been doing this work for over 27 years. But, you know, I think that the 8.4 billion in economic impact, sustaining over 62,000 jobs throughout the state is a real, um, is a real testament to the work that's being done by Minnesota State. Yeah, I love numbers and uh, numbers. Uh, <laughs> numbers are good proof, and you know we love to see that. You mentioned employees. You mentioned students. I'm reading here that uh, those sixty-two thousand one hundred twenty-five jobs equals one out of every forty-six in the state, and Minnesota State generates six hundred fifty million in state and local taxes. Those are those are big numbers. They, they absolutely are. And I think that it just goes to show, you know, the spending power that Minnesota State on an operational and basis has, as well as when students come to campus, their parents come to visit, they're on campus and off campus spending money, creating income for local businesses, creating jobs outside of the university, and then generating taxes. And so those numbers are, are big numbers, but they're supported by, you know, this is a, they're the fourth largest system in the country. So this is, this is a big impact. I think I've seen one before, but not one that, you know, kind of popped out on me. And you're quoted in here, I think. What I found interesting is 2021, when you crunch these numbers, this was during the pandemic. So Minnesota State was able to kind of sustain and, and battle through COVID when a lot of businesses and other things were really struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, you know, there is some rich detail, you know, about that COVID response throughout the greater report. But, you know, all of the universities and colleges responded, you know, to, to the task at hand. You know, it, it shows a resiliency with the impact and that they were able to maintain their presence despite all the changes and troubles that the COVID-19 pandemic brought. And I think one of the interesting things that maybe you didn't talk about in your report here, the value, price of tuition and what's going on kind of tells me that Minnesota State's one heck of a value. Absolutely. You know, students are graduating with the lowest rates of student debt within the state. And, you know, they have the lowest tuition in Minnesota, you know, and I think that that's important. You know, what we constantly hear from students and Minnesota State is delivering is that they want an affordable education and access to high quality, affordable education. And clearly, Minnesota State is delivering on that value promise. Hey, is, is there a, a previous analysis similar to this that you guys did a Minnesota state to compare like five years ago or 10 years ago? Is there anything to, to measure this against? You know, we did the previous study in 2018 and the previous economic impact was 8 billion. Uh, we did lose some jobs. You know, we had a higher job impact the last time and, you know, but relatively what I would characterize this impact is that Minnesota state is able to maintain as a stable presence in the economy, an $8 billion, $8 billion impact. Yeah, I know the, the chancellor was also quoted in here saying, colleges and universities are woven into the fabric of 47 communities. So we have 26 colleges and seven universities, but when we include campuses and all the communities, 47, that's, that's in every corner of the state. I think that what's interesting about Minnesota State as a system is that it is everywhere. And, you know, there's not a community that do- it doesn't have access to a Minnesota State college or university. 
And, you know, that is one of the things that we learned in the, the interviews. They're all about responding to local community and workforce needs. That, that's why they're out there and they are serving the state of Minnesota. Perfect. Nicole, is there anything uh, <laughs> that we didn't mention that maybe you wanted to? Um, no, I, I really do think it is so important to reinforce that Minnesota State is producing graduates that fulfill Minnesota's workforce needs. And these 26 colleges and seven universities produce a total impact of $8.4 billion and sustain 62,125 jobs throughout all of Minnesota. And this is a real pride point and something, something that Minnesota State in their colleges and universities, staff, faculty, and students should take a great deal of pride in. Thanks, Brent. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. A new state report shows Minnesota's teacher shortage expands. Joining me today is Education Minnesota President Denise Speck. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the top findings? Sure. Um, you know, the this is a report that comes out every other year, and, um, you know, the supply and demand or the teacher shortage is something that Education Minnesota has been talking about for a long, long time. But I think the, the statistic that really stands out to me is that, you know, 9 in 10 school districts are reporting um, that, you know, the shortage is affecting them, you know, somewhat significantly to very significantly. Um, you know, that, that's up quite a bit from the last time this report was done. And, you know, when we talk about licensed teachers, are we seeing this ripple effect into other support services when it comes uh, to surrounding teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, we don't just have a teacher shortage. We have a shortage when it comes to substitute teaching, and we have a shortage in our, you know, other school staff, whether it's bus drivers, cooks, custodians, paraprofessionals, um, we're hearing that statewide, and that's significant as well. And, you know, we think about uh, teachers uh, retiring and obviously leaving the, uh, the profession, but I was looking up throughout the report, and it looks like new teachers are also leaving. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, to have a third, uh, you know, a third of new teachers leaving in their first five years, um, we need to pay attention to that. Um, and that's that's a statistic that we've always really looked at, but we can really do something about that. So, you know, when we get people into the profession, how do we keep them there? Um, and we do talk with educators about what did you need in your first couple of years? And they're telling us things like, um, I needed better mentoring. I needed coaching. Um, I needed time to plan or meet with my colleagues. But there's also a pocketbook issue here when it comes to not just newer teachers, but teachers in general, um, you know, whether it's not being able to afford, um, you know, pay back their tuition loans, um, high costs of health insurance, um, the compensation not being exactly what it is, or, you know, benefit package that, um, you know, could be better. So I would say pocketbook issues are also a significant, um, you know, indicator or reason for our new teachers as well. And, you know, obviously when we, we see these shortages in nearly nine of ten districts, I'm, I'm assuming uh, the bottom line that this is affecting our, our kids' education and futures. Oh, yes. Staffing shortages definitely affects our students. I mean, you know, we heard a story up on the Iron Range um, at the end of November 
They hadn't had a high school science teacher since the previous spring. Um, when you aren't, you know, when you aren't providing high school science, or when you don't have a permanent educator in that area, that definitely impacts kids. Um, you know, another heartbreaker is the fifth grade teacher in St. Michael Albertville, who has 40 students in his classroom. Um, it's really, really difficult to teach reading or, um, you know, give students individualized attention when you have 40 fifth graders in a classroom. Um, that definitely affects kids. It's time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Eminent Sports Director Mike Grimm joins us now and has a preview of a big sports event coming to the Twin Cities in about a month. Tasha, the Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament starts on March the 1st at the Target Center and runs through March 5th. All 14 teams in the Big Ten will be taking part. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry was part of a tip-off celebration this past week at a sports bar in downtown Minneapolis. He's excited about the chance for his city to host this main event. Yeah, we're beyond pumped to welcome yet another extraordinary event to our city. I think what it symbolizes is our city is coming back in a big way. And, you know, the other thing is we do um, women's sports here and we do them very well. People get extremely excited about the incredible talent that we have both youth as well as professional uh, in our city and I think this is this is a great example of it. The final four for the women was here this past year as well and that can certainly serve as a springboard not quite as big of an event in terms of the Big Ten Women's Tournament but it's more regional and I think uh, that should be good for the city, right? Yeah, we do extremely large and we do very large both quite well. I was at uh, the final game in that uh, NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament. You know, we had a fabulous time. People were so excited. Uh, the vibe in that place was electric. You could cut the energy with a knife. And that's the kind of that's the kind of scene that we offer here in our city. We do these large-scale events extremely well. We know how to put them on. Uh, we've got a number of partners that will all step up simultaneously to help make it a great event and one that you want to come back to. And I think, you know, this is in this instance, you know, the last time that the NCAA, the last time that the Big Ten championships were anywhere other than Indianapolis was like 2014. Yeah. Um, and so now, eight or nine years later, Minneapolis is getting it. I think it's something we should all be really proud of. Last one for you, because I wanted to ask you, you mentioned it's kind of representative of maybe a resurgence and a revival of Minneapolis, which has certainly gone through some turbulence, as, as, as we well know. Um, uh, how can sports help play a role in that, do you think? 
Sports always bring people together. Uh, it's something to rally around, whether it's the home team or it's just extraordinary and exceptional talent. And I was, I myself was uh, an NCAA Division One athlete. I, I ran professionally for uh, Saucony, which is a shoe company, uh, and it is something that just brings people together, whether it's track and field or it's basketball. Um, and you know, the specimens of athletes that we have coming in as part of the Big Ten championships is just something really special. You don't get to see that every single day uh, and the fact that they're going to be here in our city playing at Target Center uh, I think is a big deal and as I mentioned it also symbolizes a rebound for not just in the basketball sense uh, but in the figurative sense is from where our city has been to where we are going um, you know when you walk around downtown we're, we're seeing people again um, restaurants like you know Tom's Watch Bar is where we are right now this place is, is cooking um, Target Center is active again and the theater district is moving along so I mean there, there's a number of different pieces at play and they all lead to a great city rising and that's where we're going also at the tip-off celebration was Big Ten Vice President of Women's Basketball Megan Kahn she says the conference is excited to be hosting this event in Minnesota we're just going to be more excited to bring this event to Minneapolis first time it's really been out of Indianapolis and I think our fans and our teams and our student athletes and coaches will get up here and really appreciate the first class experience that we're able to provide for Big Ten Women's Basketball right now boy what a season uh, top to bottom this league is having right I mean pretty exciting that local fans here in Minnesota will get a chance to come in and see a lot of great basketball. We really are probably the best conference in the country right now. We have four teams ranked in the top 10, which is a first ever for the Big Ten Conference, never been done before in our history. Six teams in the top 25, uh, but if you look top to bottom, we're as solid as any conference in the country. Anybody could be anybody on any given night. Um, a lot of basketball still be, to be played before that bracket is announced on February 26th, and I'm just excited to see what comes out, and I think this might be the year we get a team to the Final Four. It's been 2015 since we had a team in the Final Four. The Big Ten has only had one national champion uh, in Purdue in 1999, so maybe this will be our year. Obviously here in Minnesota we know of Lindsey Whalen uh, and all that she's done, a Basketball Hall of Famer now um, and it's kind of exciting I'm sure to uh, have her be part of the league one and two uh, to be uh, hosting this event now in her home state where she's one of the Mount Rushmore of uh, athletes in, in Minnesota. Yeah, I know Lindsey's super excited about this and I'm excited for Lindsey, what she's building at Minnesota. Her freshman class is unbelievable, and I think we're going to see some great things out of the Gophers the next couple years. So a Big Ten women's tournament. Fans here, basketball fans, have seen Final Fours. What's a conference tournament? I've done both men's and women's tournaments, and it is a unique feel. Tell some of the basketball fans what they'll experience that week when the women are here. Yeah, we have a lot of ancillary events that will help lead up to the event um, kicking off over the next couple weeks here in the Twin Cities, in the Minneapolis area, especially tournament week. The way our bracket is set out is really unique uh, when we have 14 teams not everyone plays an equal number so uh, those teams are really gunning for a top four seed because our top four seeds get a double buy so our tournament tips off on Wednesday but if you're a top four seed you don't really start playing until Friday and then seeds five through nine they get a single buy so they're playing on Thursday with the strength of the league you're gonna start seeing some of our top teams already having to play on Thursday they're just there's only four 
teams that can get that double bye. And so uh, I think the bracket, uh, there's going to be a lot of competitiveness down the stretch and, and see how that bracket really shapes out. And then what's fun is let's see if we get a team from uh, Wednesdays or, you know, seeds 11 through 14, if they can knock off a team on Thursday and how that starts to shape up for the tournament. That's Megan Kahn from the Big Ten. She says tickets are still available at the Big Ten webpage. Tasha, back to you. Thanks, Grimmer. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Have a great week, everyone.